revives the scorched spirit of human beings they purify the sinner and the life of the holy to hear them is itself auspicious and peace generating they are the real givers who spread thy name far and wide so in the last class we were reading the section where we find sri ramakrishna is indicating the tenets the practices which uh, uh is which unfolds our spiritual evolution so we found that he started with the nama gunagan that repeating god's name and his glories and then the holy company the sadhu sangha and the third was to be in seclusion as and when possible nirjan vas and then the fourth was the discrimination the viveka that what is real and what is transitory what is impermanent and the fifth was the vairagya the dispassion the dispassion which we discussed in the last class which doesn't means that totally secluding ourselves separating ourselves in seclusion separating ourselves in seclusion from all our responsibilities that doesn't mean vairagya in the words of ramakrishna that being in the household doing all the household's duty with a sense of detachment and for that the example which guru maharaj is giving we will read that uh, and then start our discussion a maid servant in the house of a rich man performs all the household duties but her thoughts are fixed on her own home in her native village she brings up her master's children as if they were her own she even speaks of them as my rama or my hari but in her own mind she knows very well that they do not belong to her at all the tortoise moves about in the water but can you guess where her thoughts are there on the bank where her eggs are lying do all your duties in the world but keep your mind on god so in very simple words he is just indicating the fact that seek not avoid not in whatever position the lord has kept us let us accept that 
we fastidious, we're very responsible about your duties. Do it perfectly. Outwardly, the others may seem that as if you're extremely attached, the way you take care of all the activities. But inwardly, you should know that after all, it's all transitory. All the things which the nature has given me, which God has given me today, at one point of time, everything will be taken away. Nothing will remain with me. So if I have a tremendous sense of attachment, if I think this is going to be ever as a permanent thing, I'm bound to suffer. So everything is transitory. So do all your work, take care of all your responsibilities with a sense of dispassion. So that's the thing which we were discussing even in the last class that uh, Sri Ramakrishna is indicating the way we have to live in uh, the world. So always keep the Lord in your mind. So that's the thing now he will be stressing. If you enter the world without first cultivating love for God, you will be entangled more and more. You will be overwhelmed with its danger, its grief, its sorrows. And the more you think of worldly things, the more you will be attached to them. So this is the thing in various contexts we have discussed that if we live the life apart from the thought of the divine, know it for certain today or tomorrow, we are going to be overwhelmed with its danger, its grief and its sorrows. In the modern psychology, as we have indicated again and again in the various contexts, this is called inescapable trauma. In our life, the life's journey starts, we are very optimistic, we find whatever we want, we are getting. Everything seems to be a very joyous, adventurous journey. And then suddenly we find, we are all bound to find at certain point of time, as if we are at the age of the precipice. You take a step forward, you fall. Where you fall, you don't know. You are suddenly, you find you are in front of an adamantine world. The, all your this adventurous journey is bound to come to an end. The crisis we all face in life, we have to in one way or other. And then suddenly we find that all our optimistic, this view towards life, that's dwindling. We are becoming more and more pessimistic. We all, that's why Swamiji is saying that we all start our journey as an optimistic. But what a pity, most of us end our life with a pessimistic tone. You, any of the most of the senior person, if you ask, you will find, yes, that's the answer. That's the answer you will get. That we, though we started with an optimistic journey, the life seemed to be so colorful. And at last we find everything is being snatched away one by one. So, and then we find as if the life has no answer for me. And this is the situation which leads to inescapable trauma. In our life, we have lots of trauma. But there are certain trauma we will find is inescapable. Escapable. You cannot escape it. Uh, these experiments are very, very famous in psychology. These are not allowed nowadays, but it were, these ex ex experiments were conducted a few decades ago. 
because nowadays it says that you cannot in any way torture the animals but for the sake of experiment some experiments were to certain extent torturous for the animals what what such a one such experiment is that the rats some 10 rats were kept in a cage the cage was such design that in the middle of the cage there are some wheels were frictionless wheels the 10 rats are on one end of the cage on the other end of the cage there, there is some the food for the rat kept there so when the rats are hungry they can see the food so naturally they have a tendency to go and grab the food but as they try to move over the wheels they are so frictionless they cannot cross the wheel they go on trying they cannot cross and this results in inescapable trauma and what happens they all becomes almost depressed they they enter into a state which is called learned helplessness means they have learned that they are helpless the situations have taught them they have conditioned them that they are helpless now what they do they reduce they increase the friction of the wheel now again we will find the same rats are again kept in the cage now the wheels friction has been increased so now if the rats try a bit hard they can easily cross but now a wonderful thing has been found that once the rat has went through that inescapable trauma they won't try at all a little effort they find they cannot cross they won't try because they have learned that they are helpless and this results in this pessimistic attitude you are overwhelmed by the dangers of life by the sorrow now very interesting in that experiment it was found that out of 10 rats 10 this eight rats never tried to cross but two somehow though they also went with that that the same ordeal but they somehow had that optimistic attitude they tried hard and they crossed so now in positive psychology the question is not with the eight that we have to find out the positive traits which enable those two rats to cross that most of them failed but how that two rats crossed so now they find that this that traits of the pessimist and the optimists what's that the pessimists take every problem to be permanent there is no solution the optimist take every problem as a new problem and thinks that all our problems are temporary the previous problem was temporary it is not going to be something permanent the pessimists think that all the problems are all pervasive it pervades my entire life the optimist they think it is just local to give an example that we uh, there's, uh, there's a, in various contexts we give this example a student is good in all the subjects is weak in only one subject say mathematics but his worry about his weakness in mathematics overwhelms him and it starts affecting the other subjects that's what is meant by all pervading he could have just considered that this is just a small part of my weakness i have strength in so many field let me build on the strength and let me overlook the weakness but somehow what we happens because of the pessimistic attitude he goes on worrying about the weakness and it starts affecting all the positive aspects also and he finds that he is as if a loser 
but there was no reason for it to be. So this is the thing which is being indicated as a difference between the optimist and the pessimist. So this we understand. Now for us in life, when we are overwhelmed with the danger, now you say, how can I be the optimist? So again, that question that in this life, unless we can relate to another dimension of existence, sometimes we cannot find any answer to the problems of life. And it is bound to make us pessimist. To give an example that we give this example again and again, to just relate to this context, that if we ask the student to draw exactly four triangles by joining four points, it is impossible. In a piece of of paper, you have four points, you try to join, impossible. Somewhere or other, the lines will intersect to create the fifth point. You cannot get exactly four triangles. The answer is have three points in the paper and imagine the fourth point in the space. Instead of trying to find the answer in the two dimensions of the paper, now consider the third dimension. You take the height into consideration. Now you will get an exactly uh, four triangles. It's a triangular pyramid, one triangle in the base, and three are the sides, three triangles on the sides. So you get a triangular pyramid with exactly four triangular faces. So why that answer we couldn't get? Because we were searching the answer only in two dimensions. Similarly, when we become pessimist in life, we don't find any meaning. The reason is that this sensed world is the be all and end all of our existence. The moment we start relating to that dimension of existence, which speaks of our spiritual dimension, the spiritual dimension of existence, where we believe that I am, God is, and our relation is eternal. In the words of Jesus, worship the spirit by the spirit. That I am in essence the spirit. This body may die off, but I was, I am, I will be. As the spirit as the soul as a conscious principle i am everlasting the lord is also as the spirit is an everlasting worship this spirit by that spirit in essence the spirit this relation with the spirit with the lord is everlasting nothing can annihilate that the moment i relate to that dimension then what happens all the problems of life becomes a passing phase. I know that it is something maybe unsurmountable, but it is just a part of my existence. It can never pervade my entire existence. And this faith enables me to transcend, not to eradicate all the challenges, the dangers, the griefs. I can, I may not be, uh, it may not be possible to eradicate them but I transcend them. They are there, but they cannot affect me because I have developed that awareness that after all, it is just affecting a very small part of my existence. I am just a traveler in this life and just maybe my co-passenger or maybe the train is delayed for some reason and it creates an annoyance, but I know that's that's not the be all and end all of my existence. At last, I will be reaching my destination. This is just a temporary part of my existence. I need not be overwhelmed by it. Once I know that it is just something temporary, 
I naturally develop the capacity to persevere, to have patience. I know because it is not going to be something permanent. As in Bhagavad Gita, the term will come. This Agama Apaina Anitya. They come, they go, and they are temporary. They're not going to be there for uh, ever. And that's why Tang Titikshashwa Bharata. So persevere. So if it is not going to be permanent, then why you should be overwhelmed by it? Just persevere. It will go. It came at certain point of time. It is bound to go at certain point of time. So that type of attitude is possible only when we are aware of the divine. And we are in our life constantly, we are trying to keep that awareness through the remembrance of the divine, through devotion. And that's the thing Swami Ramakrishna is indicating. If you enter the world without first cultivating love for God, you will be entangled more and more. You will be overwhelmed with its danger, its grief, its sorrows. And the more you think of worldly things, the more you will be attached to them. So one is I'm overwhelmed. I'm getting overwhelmed by the sorrows because I don't find any answer. And another thing is by dwelling more and more in the worldly thing, that as we told, that the more we pursue the same thing, our mind has that limitation. What you do again and again, that becomes an obsession. It creates as if a groove in the mind. Out of need, what I do today, that when I go on repeating, it creates a groove in my mind. And once the groove is created, the mind has a tendency to traverse that without purpose. First, there was a necessity. Now I forget the necessity. And now I have become obsessive. Without purpose, I am doing it. So we, in a sense, all develop that obsessive compulsive disorder. It's not only a few patients who have the uh, urge to wash their hands without any reason. There are many. Actually, we are all OCD. We have developed all those compulsions. The necessity got converted into obsession and compulsion. How? Because of our too much clinging to the this worldly things. The more you think of worldly things, the more you will be attached to them. First rub your hands with oil and then break open the jackfruit. Otherwise, they will be smeared with its sticky milk. First secure the oil of divine love and then set your hands to the duties of the world. So this is the idea we will find again and again will come in the gospel. To develop the love of the divine. In so many contexts, this is the thing which we are discussing. You will find what we were discussing is actually the master's words. And that is again is a reflection of our scriptures. That if that today's need becomes tomorrow's obsession, as per the default mode of my existence, why not I design a new type of obsession? which will help me to get rid of all other obsessions. And that's the love of the divine. As we told that when with our willpower, most probably at the beginning, I don't have the love for taking the name of the divine. I have no devotion. But with my will, I make it a, a point that as I have been instructed by my spiritual preceptor, or maybe as I have resolved, 
I will take the name of the Lord morning and evening at particular time every day. It's uh, irrespective of my temperament, irrespective whether I like or not. There's a very funny story. The fourth president of our order, he was also the disciple of Ramakrishna. His, uh, his, his name is Swami Vigyanananda. When Vigyananda became president, and now as a president, he has to initiate. He had a very childlike nature. So when he, these, these disciples got initiated, in his table, there will be piles of letters. And all the letters, the, the main theme of the letters, most of the letters will be that, that we are so grateful that we have been initiated. We are blessed. But somehow we don't find that uh, inclination to practice the japam and meditation as has been instructed by you. We don't find that inclination. And seeing that letter again and again for days together, he got so fed up. He one day suddenly he had a very childlike, very, very childlike, childlike nature. He told, I won't initiate. So although his uh, secretary, his um, sevak, they came and what, what happened? Why, why won't you initiate? There are all, there is so many uh, application forms are there piled up and you say you won't, let's say they all disturb me without any reason that uh, they don't feel like doing japa. So how to develop that temperament? So now really he stopped giving initiation. And when really the applications piled up, so he, there's very, it's very interesting, funny story. And then all were pleading, Maharaj, you have to initiate. See that so many people are willing, this for this all applications have now piled up. So please, please uh, start again initiating. And then he told, okay, I will initiate under one condition. Take an undertaking that after initiation, I won't disturb my guru by just asking him that I, uh, that uh, how to get that temperament for uh, this, uh, what do you say that for doing Japam, how to have the liking for it. He used to scold the devotees by saying, have I told you to like uh, uh, that, uh, develop a liking for the Japam and do it? I told you, you do it. Whether you like it or not, you do it. Swami Brahmananda used to say that you do it for few years, for two years, three years. After that, if you find that you, are you have developed no test, you come and slap me. Yes, that's the word he's using. You come and slap me with that, that type of assurance is giving. Just practice sincerely. That's what Swamiji used to say. Purity, patience, perseverance. This three P is the be all and end all of our spiritual journey. We have to have patience, perseverance. And then what happens? What I am doing through will, that, that limitation of the mind now becomes the advantage. What I'm doing again and again, I don't like what I'm doing through will every day. This reputation creates a groove in the mind. And this is a new path. Once this new path is formed, now suddenly you will find you have started developing a liking for resorting to your meditation and japam, devotional practices. And this liking is something which is going to save you. Just the way if a drug addict is being told, has been told, you need not have to tell, he knows himself that how the drug addiction is harming him. 
but he cannot leave his addiction. His rational mind says that it's harmful, but his obsession forces him. It is in spite of the fact the rational mind is warning, he cannot stop. Similarly, once I develop this little liking for the divine, now the entire world may come and convince me that these are all nonsense. There is nothing called God. These are all nonsense, all make-believes. Uh, these are all the these cranky fellows who are resort to this. They may explain. And you may stop your practice being convinced that what they say is true. But know it for certain. Once you have developed the test, just like a drug addict, in, after a few days, you yourself spontaneously will resort to that practice. Why? Now this obsession is something is which is going to help you. It's not the, the, like the drug addiction which is going to destroy you. It is going to save you. How it is going to save us? As we told, that all the obsessions which we have developed, the out of necessity we did repeatedly and it became obsession. All those obsessions, innumerable such obsessions are there. They all have a common property. What's that? They are all linked with worries, anxieties. Why? Till as they are all extraneous, something which I have to get through my endeavor. And once I get this question of preserving it, your relations, your wealth, everywhere the same thing happens. Your position in life, till I haven't got them, I have the I have the I am worried that I may not get them. Once I get them, again, that I am full of that anxiety is there. I may lose. Wealth may go. Relations may go. My position in life may go. So it is all linked with my worries and tension and anxieties. But this, this love for God is something once you develop, no one can take away from you. In the words of Mirabai, Kharche nahi koi, chor na leve, dina dina varat sabaya. It cannot be expended. No one can steal. And the more that devotion, that little devotion makes you practice more, the more the groove gets deepened, the more intense becomes your devotion. And this intense devotion, as it is not in any way associated with worries and tensions, because no one can take away from you. So now this is the thing which you will find that your mind tends to always be in that path and avoid all other paths. All other paths are like the roads, the traffic roads with all junctions. Because when my object of desire is something external, there's a question of clash. My interest may clash with your, your interest. The job which I want, you find there are 100 applicants. Naturally, there's anxiety, there's tension. One whom you love, if someone else love, you are in jealousy. Because there's again the clash of interest. Here, if I love God, you can also love God. No problem. He is the object of love. He's a universal object of love. In no way, it in any way, clashes each other's interest. And that way, it is. this is the obsession, the newly developed obsession, which as such has no worries, no tensions, no concerns. For the first time in your mind, you have created a freeway where there is no traffic, no junction. 
And we all know that if there is a freeway for going to a destination, why should I go through the traffic? My natural tendency will be to go through the freeway to avoid all the traffic. And here also we find once you develop the devotion, this is going to just stop all other obsessions. In the words of Ramakrishna, kata diye kata tola, with the help of a thorn, you prick out a thorn which has pierced you. The same thorn. So here devotion is that thorn with which once you develop this path, your natural tendency of the mind will be to dwell in this path more and more. And the other paths, they are no more traversed. And if you don't traverse them, in, after a few days, that road won't be there at all. In just the way, you know, in a park, if you are uh, just walking, you take a course the same way every day. You'll find the grass has dried up and a path has been formed. Now, if you don't go that way, uh, stop uh, traversing that way for a few days, again, the grass will grow. The road which has created is no more there. And that, happen, that happens with the devotion. Once this new path is created, your tendency is to traverse that path more and more because it gives such a joy the other paths falls off automatically and at first they are there but you are not traversing and then they are not there at all. So that's how devotion can help us to get rid of all the so-called our obsessions. So that's the thing we will find that Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. First rub your hands with the oil and then break open the jackfruit. Otherwise they will be smeared with sticky milk. So what is that oil? First secure the oil of divine love. That's the oil. Once you develop that, with this love you can go to the world. Now you have developed such a strong inclination for this. Nothing is going to affect you anymore. So first secure the oil of divine love and then set your hands to the duties of the world. Now they won't affect. You will be doing but without the, with the idea of seek not, avoid not. God has placed me here. I'm taking care of the responsibilities, but in no way I get obsessed by them because I have an obsession which can take care of all other obsessions. They can negate all other obsessions. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That first, secure that oil of the divine love. Once you can do that, and then you can again enter into the world, take care of the duties. They're not in any way going to bind you. But one must go into solitude to attain this divine love. So it's not that for once for all you're going to solitude. That yes, in life a retreat is required so that you can come back with that freshened, totally refreshed. You go and you get equipped with the love of the divine and then you come back. Why you come back? As the entire Bhagavad Gita is based on that idea. Because that's what the God wishes. Sri Ramakrishna is the story that in the Gita class uh, we were indicating that the nanny is sitting and all the grandchildren are playing and the game is what? That the one is the thief. One of the children will be uh, designated as the thief and if he touches someone else, that person becomes a thief. And that's the game which goes on. Now, no one wants to be the thief. So what's the way? I, either you have to somehow run away from the thief so that he cannot touch you. And there is another way. That is somehow you go and touch the nanny. 
who is sitting and enjoying the game. If you touch the nanny, then even if the thief touches you, you won't become the thief. Now, naturally, all the children, what have they have the tendency? They, they have the tendency that why not go and immediately touch the nanny? But nanny never allows that. He is never, because she wants the game to go on. That's very interesting. Now, let the game go on. That's the divine the wish. She doesn't want the game to be stopped, that you just get merged in the divine. Let the game go on. But know it, it is a game. That's the interesting thing. We take this game to be the be all and end all of existence. It becomes the question of our life and death. We suffer. If we know it's a game, is the God who is playing, then whatever may be the situation of life, that as that is a very famous song of the Tagore. That, oh Lord, please save me from danger. That is not my prayer. My prayer is just give me sufficient strength that in, the, in danger, in crisis, I am not afraid. I can face it with tranquility, with peace of mind, by transcending, knowing it. It's just a game. So that's the idea we will find in the entire gospel. Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of uh, meditation, of devotion, but not for running away from life. With that, we equip ourselves to face the challenges of life. So here also we find that, but one must go into solitude to attain this divine love, to get butter from milk, you must let it set into curd in a secluded spot. If it is too much disturbed, milk won't turn into curd. Next, you must put aside all other duties, sit in a quiet spot and churn the curd. Only then do you get butter. So once you get the butter, that's not the end. Then, then the next thing is very important. Once you get the butter, Mr. Ramakrishna will say that now you keep it in, the, in water. Now it won't mix. Now it will float. So when the milk, if I in the milk, if I put water, it the milk gets totally diluted along with the water. The water gets diluted with the milk. They are almost same. You cannot separate them. But once you have churned the milk and the, the butter is there, now you can put it in the water. It will float. So that's the idea. Sri so Ramakrishna is saying that first have that butter. The world is water and the mind milk. So that's the example now he's, he will be giving. If you pour milk into water, they become one. You cannot find the pure milk anymore. But turn the milk into curd and churn it into butter. Then when the butter is placed in the water, it will float. So practice spiritual discipline in solitude and obtain the butter of knowledge and love. Even if you keep that butter in the water of the world, the two will not mix the butter will float. So to certain extent that intense practice is required. Why? Even in the Yoga Sutra with this, some other examples, some other sutras were dealing with it. We speaks of the parinam or the transformation of the mind. At present, my mind is having varied occupations. That is called sarvarthata, sarva artha, so many occupations. To make it ekagra, to make it one-pointed is my first practice. But it's not easy. 
even if with lot of assiduous practice one day i can concentrate my mind for a short time i will find i am bound to find that in no time in a very short time all those distracting thoughts are bound to come back and again throw the mind into that turbulent state you try hard you go to that ekavritti it's broken why because my subconscious mind is already full of all those preoccupations it is saturated with that and my conscious attempt to concentrate the mind conscious attempt is very feeble the force of that is very feeble compared to the force of the subconscious mind it simply throws it off so now the question is then how if it that's the question then is it ever possible to make my mind one pointed and that's the things ramakrishna is saying that for some time go to the seclusion try to get read of all the distractions and try again and again to focus your mind now you may say that the other distractions are not there but my mind is already saturated what's the use the clue is here that how my mind got saturated with all those distractions in the process of evolution some time or other i have thought them consciously all those thoughts i have thought consciously at certain point of time anything which i think consciously is not lost immediately it goes deep into my psyche into the subconscious mind and is stored there so all those things i thought consciously at some time or other in the entire process of evolution and that's how they have entered into the subconscious so here also the same thing applies now this force is very feeble my attempt to keep the mind in the lord is very feeble i fail the subconscious mind comes and throws it off but now i have kept myself in seclusion and try again and again in spite of repeated failures again i try again i fail again and try with each attempt with each conscious attempt what is happening this one pointedness is entering into your subconscious mind now this will start saturating your subconscious mind the example which we give again and again suppose my mind is like a cup full of impure water turgid contents and now what i do i start pouring pure water into it now as the cup is already full the turgid contents will start spilling over and the pure water will start filling in diluting the turgid content the water is becoming the turgidity is reducing it is becoming more and more diluted it is getting more and more pure the turgidity is decreasing a time will come when the entire turgid contents will be splashed out the cup will be full of the pure water so that's the need for the seclusion go to the seclusion try again and again and again and this is the process by which the mind will be purified a time will come where all the distractions has fallen off my subconscious mind is filled with that ekavritti the butter has formed the butter has now formed now with that mind you come now we will find you are floating in the water of samsara nothing can drench you so that's the thing sri ramakrishna is saying the world is water and the mind milk if you pour milk into water they become one you cannot find the pure milk anymore but turn the milk into curd and churn it into butter 
then when that butter is placed in water, it will float. So practice spiritual discipline in solitude and obtain the butter of knowledge and love. Even if you keep that butter in the water of the world, the two will not mix. The butter will float. Together with this, you must practice discrimination. What's the discrimination? Woman and gold is impermanent. God is the only eternal substance. What does a man get with money? Food, clothes and a dwelling place. Nothing more. Very interesting. That some may be having that some optimum uh, salary. And some may be extremely rich. But that doesn't mean that uh, he can every day enjoy delicacy. After a few days, the, he will uh, bound to develop so many dis- this lifestyle disease. And the doctor will at last prescribe him that have the food habits which resembles to that poor man. Very interesting, you will find the brown rice, the millet, these are all now considered as uh, healthy foods. These were all poor man's food. When I get rich, I take polished rice and all. And now in the market, you will find brown rice is costlier than the polished rice. What has happened? Because the rich man, after taking the polished rice, have developed so, so much of health conditions and the doctor has told, go back to the brown rice. So what, was the in, what we are saying, that how much money you may have, with that at last, you find that you cannot go on just uh, enjoying the world in the form of eating and uh, just uh, dwelling. At last, you the house is required for your shelter, for uh, saving yourself from the extreme weathers. Once it is performed, however money you may have, what are you going to do with that money? So this money is required. That's what he's saying, this money is required, but after you have the basic needs, it, it shouldn't become an obsession. For most of us, with the money is, uh, is not something which, is, uh, which we need. Money is something that which we every day check in our bank balance and feel satisfied. We have nothing to do with it. It is just going, there's just, you're just uh, accumulating that and gives a sense of satisfaction, a sense of security. But we are not going to enjoy it. And that's, that's the thing even uh, the government knows. That's why the lot of salary uh, you will find for the government staff for every job. Because they also know, at last, what will you do? You will keep those money in the bank and the government will use it for the investment purpose. So they also know you cannot use it. So that's how the equation works. But it's our obsession. We go on accumulating. We go on accumulating because that gives us a sense of security, a sense of happiness. That's also a type of obsession. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That with money, what you can get at the most? Food, clothes, and a dwelling place. Nothing more. You cannot realize God with its help. Therefore, money can never be the goal of life. That is the process of discrimination. Do you understand? So very simple words. The yes, these are the things he's not denying. They are needed. Once the basic needs have been met, why be obsessed by it and waste your life just in the pursuit of it? Why not? That is the uh, that Swami Vivekananda used to give that example of a bullock. 
that what's our condition like in this life that why we chase after the desires and more wealth yes it gives a little happiness today i have one car i need the new model most probably there is no need but some desire has a, just arose in my mind seeing the new model car in the street i also have a desire to get it and the moment i get it i have a terrible happiness tremendous happiness and i think this is the car which has given me happiness but actually what has happened in my mind the my swami ji is saying that the mind is like a lake and all these desires the thoughts are like the waves as long as there is a wave in the lake i cannot see the bottom when the lake is calm the water is transparent i can see the bottom so swami ji in this example is saying that our mind is like the lake and our real nature which is ananda swarupa which is full of bliss its nature is bliss it is as if the bottom of the lake it is just behind the mind i never see it because my life is always filled with so many desires i want this i want that and suddenly one of the desire becomes some intense shadowing all other desire there's a huge wave which is as if swallowed up all other waves i want that car the moment i get it for the time being there is no wave the state of desirelessness the happiness comes from within from your ananda swarupata the the nature which is bliss that when the let go ensues it comes from within it wells up but out because of ignorance i think it is a car the new model car which has given me happiness and that's how i am being fooled again and again and this life after life just like a bull which has been tied to uh, the stone for grinding the oil we go round and round swam ji used to say that our condition is like the bull uh, on his head a stick it has been attached and in front of that stick a few straw has been kept and this bull is been tied to the stone for we went for grinding the seed or this oil seeds to get the oil there is no need for driving the bull it simply moves round and round why because it is chasing it is trying to get the straw it never gets because it is attached to the stick which is hanging in front of the head and it is trying to get it the wheel moves and the oil is being grinded so the nature is grinding its oil is getting its is doing its work by making us its bull how is avidya kama karma because of ignorance we think these external objects are going to give us happiness and we go on chasing after them and that's the cycle of avidya kama karma ignorance resulting in desire that resulting in actions and that's what makes us move again and again so how we can get rid of it once we know the real nature that it that happiness is something within i have to clean my mind from all the desires that happiness which comes as a just as a spark that is going to be something permanent if i can keep the mind in the desireless state that's the real nature of mind that will find expression through my life always through eternity because that's my nature so all these objects as such if we just go on chasing after them it can never give us happiness just the atmosphere is required for my sustenance i go for that rest all 
is to calm down my mind, develop the devotion so that I can enjoy that bliss, which is so momentary in my life. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Shangshare Shuk, Tapto Tawai, Jolir Potar Moto. The very nice way he's saying that how, what is the happiness in our life? A hot frying pan. In that suddenly uh, you just put a drop of water. As long as it stays there, happiness in life is that much. It's just so momentary, so temporary. But we are fooled by the nature and we just go on in the pursuit of it in the form of this food, clothes and dwelling places. And this just serves a purpose. That much with the money will be serving the purpose. They have the optimum thing and that is required. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Khali pete dharma hoyna. I cannot have religion in an empty stomach. The basic needs has to be fulfilled. But after that, as a human being, I cannot strangle it. I cannot stifle that eternal quest for the divine. It is there. Once the basic needs are fulfilled, it has to be answered. And that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. You cannot realize God with its help, with the money. Therefore, money can never be the goal of life. That's the process of discrimination. Do you understand? M. Yes, sir. I recently read a Sanskrit play called Prabodha Chandrodaya. It deals with discrimination. Master. Yes. Discrimination about objects. Consider what is there in money or in a beautiful body. Discriminate and you will find that even the body of a beautiful woman consists of bone, flesh, fat and other disagreeable things. Why should a man give up God and direct his attention to such things? Why should a man forget God for their sake? That we find in the Yoga Sutra, they say that what is ignorance? Anitya Ashuchi Dukha Anatmastha Nitya Shuchi Sukha Atma Khyati Avidya. The thing which, is tem- which are temporal, I, Anitya, I take it as Nitya. Ashuchi. What is the human body like? I long back, I saw a very interesting movie. The name of the movie is Pushpak. It's a silent movie, though it's a very contemporary movie, but it's a silent movie, the Pushpak. So in that movie, I'm not going to the details. There's a scene that an imposter somehow managed to enter a five-star hotel and somehow managed to enter the room of a person who was a very rich, extremely rich, but he was a drunkard. Now this loafer, this imposter wanted to just experience the life of a rich man. So somehow he has to uh, keep this my uh, this rich man uh, almost uh, what you say enclosed in that room. He couldn't. He should be, not be allowed to go out. So what he used to do, he tied him in a chair so that he cannot move, and his mouth was also uh, totally uh, what you say that tied. He cannot shout. But the biggest problem every day morning. This after all, this rich man has has his nature's call. Now how to deal with it? He made a hole in the chair, and with that he used to collect the night soil. Now, what to, how to dispose it? Again, it became a big problem. So he will every day make a nice pack of it with a wonderful packing, with one with very decorative packing, and he will put some scent over it. And he took it to the, to the bus stop as if to catch the bus. He kept that bag just 
uh, in the bus stop and waiting for the bus. And when the bus came, he pretended that as if out of hurry, out of being uh, hurriedly to catch the bus, he forgot his packet. He kept it and caught up on the bus. Now some other who was just standing on the bus stop, some other person seeing this very valuable packet thought something it's a very valuable thing. So he took it to his home. And what happened, they don't show. The next day, the scene is this, uh, this imposter again brought that another packet and the same person was again in the bus stop. And this person just seeing that scented decorative packet started vomiting, just started vomiting. We are also supposed to do that. <laughs> Our liking for the human body is just that. It is that skin deep, all the perfumes, everything beyond that. It is just that what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. We cannot deny the fact. But somehow that is the ignorance. Ashuchi, in the thing which is not pure, we think it is pure. That you are as beautiful as the moon. And that's the thing we say. The Shuchi in Ashuchi, Sukha in Dukha, Atma in Anatma. So these are the cause of avidya and that's the thing, that's the discrimination Sri Ramakrishna is asking. Yes, discrimination about objects, consider what is there in money or in a beautiful body, discriminate and you will find that even the body of a beautiful woman consists of bones, flesh, fat and other disagreeable things. Why should a man give up God and direct his attention to such things? Why should a man forget God for their sake? M, is it possible to see God? Here, here is we find the answer of a person who has seen God. There is no uh, reasoning, no just no what you say that building up uh, re reason or justification to give the answer, the direct answer. Yes, certainly. Living in solitude now and then, repeating God's name and singing His glories and discriminating between the real and the unreal. So he's just summarizing what he has told till now. So these are the things, repeating God's name, singing his glories, discriminating between the real and the real, unreal, living in solitude. These are the things which these are the means to employ to see him. So you can see God. So if you take these practices sincerely, it is something which is going to uh, result in that realization. Under what condition does one see God? That's the next question. M asks, Master, this is the answer, which we find it is very, very significant thing, a unique thing in the Ramakrishna's life. That's the thing he's saying. Ramakrishna, the first realization came only by the tremendous urge to realize the divine. He has to cry, he has to just... Uh, fall on the ground, rub his face on the ground and say that one more day has gone. Oh mother, uh, still I haven't seen you. The tremendous agony, the tremendous sense of that separation, the pain which he had, the tremendous urge to realize the divine. That's the thing alone which can bring all other qualities spontaneously. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Cry to the Lord with an intensely yearning heart, and you will certainly see him. People shed a whole jug of tears for wife and children. 
They swim in tears for money. But who weeps for God, cry to him with a real cry. In some other place, Sri Ramakrishna used to play with words. He used to say very nice thing. If you want, you will get je chai, she pai. Je na chai, take baro bhute na chai. Ramakrishna was an expert in playing with words. This Bengali words cannot be translated. You will lose the uh, charm of it. Je chai, the one who wants, she pai. He will get it. Bound. There is a word, there is a law of the nature. If you want wealth, you will get wealth. If you really want. If you want God, you will get God. Je chai, she pai. Je na chai, the one who doesn't want. Take baro bhute na chai. So thousands of distractions like ghosts will make you dance. This, that's the word, na chai. So, je chai, she pai, je na chai, take baro bhute na chai. So once you have that conviction that Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that you say you believe in God, do you really believe in God? Suppose, he used to give an example, suppose a thief knows very well that the next door, which is locked, if you can somehow break through it, there's a huge treasure. Can he ever sit there? Just can he rest there? He will be always in, will be just eager when I get the chance somehow to break through that room. He will be just eager somehow to break through because he knows there's a tre- so much of wealth. When I say God is, and that also is sitting in my heart, do I really, really believe? If I would have believed, my condition is supposed to be like that thief. I cannot sit quietly. I have to be restless. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. And that's what in the Yoga Sutra, there is a a very nice sutra that that we speak of spiritual practices, which will lead to illumination. The next question comes, how long I have to practice? How long I have to practice? The answer is, Tivra Sangveganam Asana. The intense, if the more intense is your yearning, the more accelerated is your journey. There is no definite that uh, I do some practices, I have repeated the Lord's name thousand times, and God is not my slave, that He will come down, that as I repeated His name thousand times in front of me. How intense is your practice? Tivra Sangveganam, that comes from that yearning. What's the science behind it? The more the yearning, the more the yearning, the more deeper the groove is formed in your mind, you know. When you think anything very intensely, you don't have to think again and again. That's the two things which makes the groove in my mind. Repetition and the intensity of each repetition. If the intensity is highly intense, even with once, just by traversing through the mind once, it can create a deep groove. That example, in some other context we gave, suppose, God forbid, it never happens that we are about to meet an accident. We are driving and the road, we are about to meet a very severe accident and we are saved. Somehow it didn't happen. I was almost about uh, to have a front, uh, front-to-front collision but I was saved at last moment, somehow we could stop and it never happened. Or maybe uh, that you were able to cross the road and suddenly a vehicle came and somehow it broke and you were saved, nothing happened. 
It has just a single occurrence in the life. But till your death, you will never forget it. So many things happen. If I ask you 10 days back what breakfast you had, you cannot recollect. You don't know. But that's the incident you will never forget. Why it happens? Because of the intensity. The fear of death, the Abhishneha at that moment, most probably it is something going to be very severe. That focused my mind so intently. I was in that moment totally focused. And that focus created such a deep groove. There's no need for repetition. That one experience is going to be in your mind forever. So when you have an intense yearning, if really I have that feeling that God is, but somehow I haven't realized, and that gives it, and without realizing God, life is of no avail. If this simple belief can create the deep yearning, then this reputation is not required. That crying, wailing for God, the deep groove which is formed, now your meditation becomes spontaneous. You develop a tremendous liking to be absorbed in the divine. And that flow will take you to that realization. And it happens in such a short time. The neuroplasticity leading to the flow. And once the flow becomes more intense, any flow, what happens for the, when, when you have entered into a flow, the thing which you like, when you passionately you are doing, what happens? The other thing falls off. The mind gets absorbed in it. Even you forget your hunger, your thirst. Sometimes the thing which you are doing uh, very passionate, most probably you are good at painting and you are doing it so passionately. Hours have passed. You forget food, you forget tiredness, you forget drinking. Because all those bodily alarms, the mind has taken the focus. The entire focus is on this. So it cannot, the mind cannot direct even to those alarm systems. It cannot process those alarm systems because the entire mind has been taken. This is the thing which happens when the mind gets extremely focused. At last, first you will find all the bodily feelings falling off. At last, what happens? Is even the sense that the ego, that I am this body-mind complex, that falls off. That's the last thing to fall off. That's the basic need for the mind to be attached to, to keep my sense of limited identity. That also is taken by your object of meditation. And then with the falling of the ego, immediately you enter into the state of realization. You go beyond the mind. The divine form becomes a framework to peep to eternity. Sri Ramakrishna and other places have given this example. Did you know what all these divine forms are? These divine forms are the hole through which, in hole in a wall of ego, through which you can peep into the eternity. Suppose there's a wall, I chisel in the form of Krishna. My contemplation of Krishna is just like chiseling the form of Krishna. When the chiseling is complete, the hole is formed. You peep through that hole, which is, which is having the shape of Krishna, and you find there's an infinite expanse behind that wall. It's infinity. And you say Krishna is infinite. The one who has made the hole in the form of Rama, he says Rama is infinite. One who made the hole as Jesus, Jesus is infinite. All are correct. It is a framework through which I am peeping to the same eternity. And how it has happened? Because of the tremendous intensity, the chiseling was very, very 
the process of chiseling was highly accelerated. It happened at a very short time, taking you direct to the realization. So this yearning is the thing. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say, yearning is like the red hue of the dawn. When it is there, you know the sun will be visible in a short time. In the morning, in the dawn, when the sun is yet to rise, you see the entire red hue in the sky. You know that it's a matter of few minutes, the sun will be visible. So if you see in your life or in some other's life, a tremendous yearning has developed for the divine. Know it for certain, the realization is something just a matter of a few moments or few days or maybe a few months, it will be, the entire process will be shortened. It will be highly accelerated. So that's what, under what conditions does one see God? That's one answer. And that's what was experimented through Sri Ramakrishna's life. That's what he's saying. Cry to the Lord with an intensely yearning heart and you will certainly see him. People shed a whole jug of tears for wife and children. They swim in the tears for money. But who is for God? Cry to him with a real cry. The master sang, cry to your mother's shyama with a real cry, O mind. And the song continues. We need not go for the song. Continuing, he said, longing is, that's the example he will just, which we spoke of. Longing is like the rosy dawn. Longing is like the rosy dawn. After the dawn, out comes the sun. Longing is followed by the vision of God. So with this, we will stop our discussion. I didn't notice the time. We have just exceeded, but it's okay. So uh, uh, again, we will continue. So from this uh, paragraph, the discussion which uh, continues for the words of Sri Ramakrishna. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.